Welcome to Healing for the Soul podcast, with this being season number four, episode number 57. I am your host, Robin Stoltman, and today I have my guest, Mark Merriweather Vonderbruggen, PhD, chemist and herbalist, on the show talking about caveman days. But before we get started, remember every week I feature different guests to help you become the best version of yourself through different methods you may not have heard of or thought of. So let's get started. Thank you, Mark. All right. Quick note, it's Vorderbruggen. You threw Vorderbruggen. A, you, okay. Yeah. Awesome. A, there's a bunch of R's and only one in at the end. But hence the name Merriweather. <laughs> it's a lot easier. Well, yes, that makes it so much easier. So what is your specialty? Ooh, wow. Okay. So by education, I have a master's in medicinal chemistry, a PhD in physical organic chemistry. But uh, I've always focused on natural products and accidentally found myself uh, an expert in edible and medicinal plants. I've given talks in Canada, the U.S., Israel, Afghanistan. They're all places that are into it. Um, and so I guess my, my true calling I've realized through that is I'm a professional caveman and trying to reintroduce people to cavemanosity as how it helps them in their modern world and adapting to the modern world. You know, that would be helpful. I'm, that's why I'm <laughs> excited about this talk. So who do you, is there anybody special that you like to work with within bringing them back to this caveman? Oh, uh, actually, parents are big on the list because one thing I found is the parents of, of like the, the kids generation right now have little to no experience with nature and are actually quite afraid of it. And so they impart this fear of nature onto their kids. Wow. You should respect nature. You shouldn't fear nature. And making kids scared of nature does not bode well for the planet Earth. Uh, no, it does not. I'm like thinking who would actually do that to their kids? I mean, like mine, they like to go outside. You can't yeah. keep them indoors. But with most parents up. nowadays, every plant is poison ivy. Every mushroom is a destroying angel and every snake is poisonous. There's a huge, huge movement to keep kids indoors and not outdoors. Luckily, there's a movement to get kids outdoors, too. And I'm on that side of the fence. And, yeah, me, too, because I'm... Um, yeah, we wouldn't want to. I can't imagine trying to keep. Well, I know for a fact I can't keep my my boys inside. Keeping the boys inside is like <laughs> hell for me. I'm just saying straight oh, up. No, no, that that's that's kind of what set me on my path of nature. Is I have two brothers. All three of us were born within a two year period, and the only way my parents could stay sane with this was to get us outdoors every day. And while we were out there, they're saying, yeah, grandma and my mom used to use this plant for toothaches and this plant is food. And they had us, you know, harvesting and using all the nature. And it just was a part of my life. Well, that's good. I feel a lot better because I'm like, I'm teaching my kids, go outside, let's do plants. Let's, you know, let's do that stuff. And the house has more plants than what my mom would like. But I'm like, well, this this is a good thing. I want, okay. I want my boys to be boys and because they drive me crazy otherwise inside the house. I'm just saying. Uh, they climb on everything. And uh, it's like, get them a playground, they're happy. So who or what who or what inspired you to do this work? So like I said, I kind of, I stumbled into it accidentally. Like mm -hmm. my, my professional career as a chemist 
was formulation, coming up with uh, uses of natural products to solve industrial and consumer problems. But I originally grew up in Minnesota, eventually wandered down to Texas in 1997 and started a blog there about outdoor adventures. Every weekend I'd go to a park or a place and kayak or hike or everything. And it became mildly popular, but what really got people interested is when I started talking about the edible and medicinal plants, I was saying, oh, by the way, there's this plant here and you can do this with it. To the point where people started come, uh, reaching out and saying, hey, we're going camping next weekend. Do you want to come with? And it's like, yeah, sure, why not? Um, and then things like the Houston Arboretum and the Science Museum started reaching out and saying, hey, we hear you teach wild edible plants. And it's like, yeah, I guess <laughs> if you want me to, I will. And that led to things like the Idiot's Guide Foraging and other books. Oh and, my uh, gosh, that's awesome! Yeah. So, and it just kind of exploded. And then in 2020, in January, I and two other guys, we started Medicine Man Plant Co. to truly bring these medicinal plants back for modern usage. Followed immediately by the Corona apocalypse, but we're we're hanging in there. <laughs> I like how you described that. That's like literally like what it felt like. That's all about it, thank God, but yeah. for the most part. The other states, yeah. I'm sure, were. Yeah. So what would a caveman do? Or what would a caveman do? Well, let's go back to raising kids, because that seemed the thing. And, and you said you yeah. get your kids outside because they're climbing on everything. Question, yes. are they throwing things at stuff a lot? Yes. Ah. I mean, they, they like to throw. They like to climb. Um, oh, my God. They love dirt. I mean, like yep. my, my mom's like, they need to stay clean. And I'm like, <gasps> they love dirt. Yes. There's nothing I can do about that. They love dirt and grass. And one swears up and down. He's a farmer. And I'm like, <laughs> cool. you're a farmer. Let's go with it, buddy. Okay. So, so let's very much love it. Let's, 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 let's unpack this because there's some really yep. great things here. They are they are in touch with their cave manosity. So first outside, when you are outside in nature, all your senses are being activated, not just your eyes and your hearing, but your nose, your touch, you're picking up the wind. I'm disappearing here. You're picking up the direction of the wind using your, the hairs on your arms, because that tells you which way a predator may be coming, or if you're hunting, which way you're going to go into so you're out there, you're, you're getting all the stimulus. When you're walking on any uneven ground, your body is constantly adjusting its sense of balance. It's just all taking brain work and giving that brain the exercise and the input it evolved to, to need to survive in that ancient world. Wow. There's some really good studies that show if you don't give the kids this, that's where you start getting the attention deficit disorder type stuff because their brain isn't getting that full sensory impact that they get just be out there playing around outside. And they've shown even kids that do have attention deficit disorders, if you can get them out 30, 40 minutes, three, four times a week in nature, off trails, not just in a playground with grass, but in the woods, on a stream, something like that, where they can interact with nature and pick up rocks and throw things at stuff and all this sort of thing, uh, their symptoms of attention deficit disorder plummet. Because their brain is now getting the input it needs. Now, if you were listening closely, you heard me mention several times throwing things at stuff. So let's talk about that. Yes. So let's go way back in time now. So the just to, just to kind of frame this, the humans, Homo sapiens, have been around for approximately 250,000 years. But you can go back 
two and a half million years to the very beginning when the the proto-human type creatures finally started figuring out fire and chipping rocks into tools and, and set themselves on this path to becoming human. One of the things that they did is figured out that if I throw a rock at a creature and I kill it, I get to eat that creature and there's a lot of good stuff in that creature. You know, there's fats and nutrients and livers and eyeballs and, you know, just not, not just the muscles, but all the organ meats and all this stuff. It's great nutrition. And so those that became better at throwing things were better fed, passed their genes on. So this led to a couple of things. One, as they were out. So this was this was asexual, both men and women, males and females were out doing this thing. When they were out gathering, they they were throwing the rocks. But the females were still the ones generally carrying the, the babies. If you listen to a person's chest, the heartbeat is louder on the left side. So holding the babies in the left hand was more soothing to the babies. They were quieter, so it was easier to sneak up. So they believe that was what led to the whole left-handed, right-handed thing. As they yeah. you know, held the baby in the left hand, those that had slightly better fine mortar control of the right side were the ones that were more effective hunters. Because if you look at, you know, everything from penguins to, to monkeys to everything, they, an individual animal does have a preference, left or right paw, flipper, whatever. But as a species, it's fairly even. It's only the humans that really have this huge dichotomy of one side preference over the other. And 90% of it is left side. The, theory is because by holding the baby in the left hand, it quieted, it soothed it, it less struggled. So you were able to sneak up on the things and kill it with a rock. Okay. So now we're still throwing things at stuff. Uh, evolution doesn't change to accomplish a task. It's just if the certain mutation uh, was beneficial to that task and allowed you to reproduce better, have more kids, whatever, it was more likely passed on. So those that had slightly better motor control, slightly better throwing ability, slightly better eye-hand coordination, all this sort of thing, were better hunters, were better able to pass this on. Now, pop quiz. You're throwing something at a thing. Mm -hmm. You have a certain amount of time. You have to release that rock or whatever to accurately hit the target. If you release it too soon or too late, you're going to miss the target. How, how small do you think that window is? I'm going to say about three seconds. Oh, not even close. One sixteen hundredth of a second. If you Whoa. release one sixteen hundredth of a second too soon or too late, you will miss the target. That's how good our motor control developed. You see, Quinchel able to target, able to control the right, you know, the right strength mm -hmm. and all this throwing. And so the these early primates, they were they, they actually developed shoulders and so forth. No other primate and really no other animal can throw with the accuracy and the strength that we have. If you look at like monkeys and chimpanzees nowadays, their main way of throwing thing is a two-handed smash, like to break open a melon or to drop a rock on some other monkey that they want to eat, things like that. Um, we're the only ones that do the, like the, the actual shoulder throw accuracy sort of thing. But while that was going on in the brain, something else was going on. So we know the different areas of the brain and the different things that are going on there and what, you know, what part of the brain controls what part of the body. 
And one interesting thing is, so you have the part of the brain that controls throwing. We always said it had to be very accurate, very sequential, very precise. But right next to it is the area that controls language. Mm -hmm. So as they develop the ability to throw better and better, it's believed then that, that, that the language part kind of piggybacked on that part of the brain, which allowed communication because communication is a precise control of events in order, you know, at this most fundamental thing. So we went from grunting to Shakespeare because we were throwing things at stuff. So when you got the kids out there throwing things at stuff, you are building up their brains, but not only their brains, all the surrounding areas too, including language skills. So the more time they are throwing things at stuff, they have better eye-hand coordination. Their brain is used to doing all sorts of funky calculations. It helps develop the brain and the connections and all this sort of thing. It can even help with the language skills. So have them throwing things at that stuff. That is awesome. I'm going to start teaching my daughter to throw things now. Because um, I actually, she's a little bit delayed on um, speech and for walking. But I'm like, I kept asking the um, speech therapist. I'm like, why isn't she talking yet? You know, a lot. And they're like, well, it's motor first and then she'll get more speech. And I kept asking them why. And they said, well, they just don't know. It just seems like that's the pattern behavior. Well, you answered it better than they could. Yeah. And it's uh, <laughs> my kids from an stuff. early, early age. Yeah. They had some bean bags every evening. We'd set up some bottles and they would throw things at stuff. And it started, you know, first they got jelly beans and then nickels and then quarters, you know, and then rewards and uh yeah did that for years just throwing things at stuff well now i'm gonna tell my husband if he says that i'm throwing stuff i'm gonna say it's my cave woman in me exactly exactly just stay out of my kitchen and be good. <laughs> I, I tell people if you don't have room to throw things at stuff learn to juggle because that's you're throwing things to yourself and that's still great True. exercise it's that also awesome. that's also a physical workout too so you're getting some cardiovascular and then once you get the juggling, then you start walking while juggling. And then you start walking on uneven ground. And, and then you join the circus and life is great. True. <laughs> Caveman circus coming up. <laughs> That's awesome. So why is it important to, to ask or talk about the caveman in modern times? You touched on a lot of things with the kids. Yeah, well, because our bodies evolved for a very different world than what we are now living in. Like a great question I love asking people is, why are your floors flat? Well, I don't know. It's convenient to move across them. You can walk across them without thinking. You can push things across them. True. It, it, it takes a pain point out of your life. Next question, what did we lose by having flat floors and, and not having obstacles in our paths? We lost a sense of balance. Yes. So if you know Japan, it sounds like we're going sideways now, but Japan, Japan figured out a while ago that they have an inverted demographic pyramid. They have way more old people than they have young people. Not any of young people are having kids anymore. They oh, figured yeah. this out 30 years ago. And so they spent a lot of time researching what can we do to maintain the health of the elderly to minimize the resource drain they are going to cause. And one of the key things they found is going back to walking on uneven ground. The more time they're out walking on even ground, so you're already getting that whole brain stimulation, the brain figuring out your body. To maintain the balance, you use the core muscles, 
those are the ones you know integral to to maintaining yeah. balance the stronger the core muscles are directly correlates to overall health uh, and then the sense of balance. And one of the things, especially with an improved sense of balance, they are less likely to fall and break a hip, which is a huge problem as you get elderly. Yeah. So in my case, I've, I've fallen quite a bit. So now you're telling me that I need to be outside more. Yep. Walking on gravel and rocks. Uh, back in January, I did a 30-mile hike in Big Bend uh, National Park here. Actually, it's Big Bend Ranch State Park, which is even bigger and more secluded than Big Bend Ranch or Big Bend National Park. But no one knows about it. Anyway, 30-mile hike, all of it on stones, you know, about the size of tennis balls. So every step required forethought and thinking and watching. Um, and I know my brain was as tired as the rest of my body by the end of that. So because it was pretty much doing what we were supposed to be doing is is paying attention to where our feet are, you know, is it stable and maintaining the balance. But two days later, I was just awesomely great, <laughs> you know, as far as physically. Awesome. So just because I was, again, doing almost an extreme version of that whole caveman lifestyle, but just having to think about where the feet are going rather than walking on autopilot. So. That is just like, wow. You know, I'm just thinking like, think like all the balls, like the, all the ball size rocks to begin with, but then having to maintain balance for that long, yeah, that would wear me out. With a 40-pound pack yeah, <laughs> on yeah. your back on top of everything else. It was unsupported, carrying all the water, and it was, well, two days we woke up, the, the water bottles were frozen, so it was, but it was wow. awesome. I'm already planning the return trip. <laughs> I can tell you're going to have a longer life. Uh, I hope so. Both my parents are in their late 80s now. Well, um, what what caveman have to do with that then too? Like when you're talking like the uneven ground and like the hips and um, mm -hmm. the body. So would that mean that a person that tends to go outside more and does it make a difference with shoes versus without shoes for that? Okay. So if you look at shoes, humans have had shoes for a long time. We figured out, yeah, we can walk barefoot but having some sort of protection helps too. Yes. The more time you can spend barefoot and there's all sorts of sensory input and simulation and so forth there. But like on this hike, I don't think even the, the, the caveman would have done it. The Native Americans in the area, they had the moccasins. It was pretty rare to be completely barefoot, you know, especially when we got cactuses and stuff like that. Yeah, around you know, too, so. that. It's a whole yeah. lot of pokies. Yeah. <laughs> Rattlesnakes. Luckily they were pretty much hibernating. Yeah. Uh, I'm not worried about snakes too much. Cause I'm like, you're going to get killed by anything else before you get killed by a wild animal. Just saying. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. Any other <laughs> we do have a lot of alligators here in Houston. So uh, there is. Yeah. That. that would not be fun. Mm. It, it makes you, you know, look before diving into water. Not like Minnesota. No. The worst thing that could happen there is you'd, you'd hit the bottom or, I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, you get, yep. like, the lakeage stuff. Mm -hmm. Leeches, so, I guess, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I don't like leeches. <laughs> I probably had one of those one time that was enough oh. to get the crap out of me. No, you're not in nature enough then out there. <laughs> no, because I'm scared to death of gardener snakes. Even, oh, wow, so. that would, okay. <laughs> my my friends knew how to scare me. My cat did too. Uh, oh, that's one thing too. Would that play into like more of like certain animals than two? Because I have like one, one, my one male cat. 
I could have killed him the day he brought me a live snake <laughs> in the house. Um, I don't know why he brought me a live one. He brings me live animals. But would that have something to do like with um, the, like the animals helping humans fight or not fight, but like go out and catch their food then too? Yeah. So let's go back a step. So we know humans domesticated wolves quite a while ago, but before human and wolves, there was human and crows. Crows? They're, crows. Crows are very intelligent. And there's still a thing here today where crows and wolves have been found working together. So the because the, the the wolves will kill an animal and then the crows will come after you know the, the wolves are done and peck the carcass, you know, the remains of the carcass. But very long time ago they figured out if they work together. So the crows would be like the scouts for the wolves and even harass things and, and separate a calf from the herd or things like that. So the wolves were already kind of primed to work with other animals to, to hunt. And then the humans showed up and we were also pretty badass hunters. Um, and we started, you know, leaving remains behind the bones and so forth that the wolves would sort of take. And over time, you know, throwing a, a bone to the wolf, and it, you know, it, it came together and said, hey, you know what? If we work together, we can get even more food, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So... Then that doesn't explain cats, because I swear to God, cats got a different mind of their own. Yeah, well, so cats consider us to be kittens that don't have a lot of hunting skill. Is uh, the the cats they teach their babies to hunt? At first, they bring them the food. So when the cat is bringing you a lizard or a snake or a chipmunk or whatever, it's going, "Okay, you have proven yourself to be an ineffective hunter. So here, have this." Um, but the, the the whole story of the cats is basically came after we started uh, storing grain. Once you start storing grain, you attract mice. If you attract mice, you attract the things that eat the mice. And so the first cats were feral cats that were you know just hanging out around the granaries, eating the mice and the rats that were being attracted there. And then eventually they said, okay, you big two-footed thing there, maybe you can do something for me, but... There's a quote, uh, cats were once worshipped at gods and they have not forgotten it. So, no, I don't think they did. <laughs> not, they still, not they still assume, you yes, you, you, you giant monkey, you, you worship me. So, Well, that, that helps because I've been like, I'm the only one that my cat brings live animals to, live rodents that I don't want. You're the favorite kitten. Well, yeah. And then my sons, he'll bring them dead ones. He brings them dead birds, dead anything. And I'm like. Why do I get the live? Well, maybe it's hoping you will pick up the skill of attacking and killing this creature. It's trying to teach you. And it's figured with the ones where it's giving the, the dead animals to that it's like, nah, they're 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 not gonna kill it. But you, there's still hope with you. I still may be able to make you a full-fledged cat. Well, I'm just I can tell you this much. When my cat found a mouse in the house, one time that I had a mouse in the house, I'm so glad my husband was there. Those two actually did work together. My husband hammered the mouse to death, and my cat was helping him keep the mouse in the corner. There we go. Yeah. That was, that was that's my one time <laughs> I didn't want to be in the house. I so understand. How did you become a nationally recognized expert in the edible and medicinal plants? You so mentioned about your blog. Yeah, so the blog, so like I said, in 2008, I was getting so many requests that I set up the Foraging Texas website as a 
kind of like an after-class study guide. So the people that were taking the classes could then go on back and review it, review it. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And when the Afghan war started, uh, a number of military people realized that the plants in Afghanistan were very similar to the plants in Texas, where I was located, very same ecosystems. And so it became popular amongst the soldiers and stuff to, to take my classes there. Uh, same with Israel. There's a big following there. Uh, Canadian homeschoolers have had me give presentations to them. And it, it just kind of exploded to the point where I have no free time whatsoever. But that's okay. because <laughs> I'm doing what I was put here to do. Well, so. I wish that would happen to me. Oh. I'm like, it only I'm took 15 years. So <laughs> I can wait. That's what I got to wait. I'm willing to do yeah. it. That's um, yeah. that's pretty awesome, though, because at least you're doing something that you love. Yep. And that's the main yeah. thing. That's what keeps you young, too. Yep. yep. Something you like. Yep. Most so do you so do you have any tips from for parents that they can use in modern times that do stem from the caveman days? I mean, like you touched a lot on yeah. um, putting kids outside or keeping them outside and letting them go outside. Is there any other tips that parents can really use? Let them climb things. Is the uh, another benefit of climbing and hanging upside down and all the things that kids like to do, swinging on swings and you know jumping off and all this stuff. Uh, how can I describe this? So like when you get a, a GPS or even your iPhone, when you're setting the, the GPS on it and it has you kind of rotate it and make this ball spin around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's basically imparting in the device its sense of space. Where am I? Humans have that same sort of thing. So all this jumping and climbing and falling and flipping over and tumbling and all this stuff is helping the child develop the sense of body space. Where am I in relationship to everything else? And where are my arms? Where are my feet? Um, yeah, like my, my theory is the more klutzy you are as an adult, you probably didn't do as much climbing and tumbling and all this no. sort of thing. So you have a less... Uh, defined sense of self in the universe. So all that is very, very important, you know, for the the overall mind body connection, because it, it it links the mind to the body as opposed to the mind just floating, you know, in this poorly controlled machine. So they need to be doing all this, you know, not just throwing things at stuff, but they themselves have to be tumbling and climbing and stretching and squeezing through things like cats. The whiskers on cats tell them how big of a hole can I get through? I just thought it meant so they didn't run into the door. No, no, it's actually there's, there's a, it, it basically say if the cat can get through, you know, wherever its whiskers are. So humans need that. They need to know, can I squeeze through this? Eventually they stop trying to squeeze through it because they can look at it and go, no, I can't get through that. Or, oh yeah, I can. That explains but, why my sister kept trying to squeeze her head through the banisters. <laughs> I'm like, why did she keep doing that? It's, it's the, until one day her head got stuck. Well, it's it's the caveman. It's saying, can I do this? I need to understand my mind-body connection. And so all the sort of weird stuff that kids do, a lot of it plays into that. Just trying to integrate the mind to the body. That is so fascinating. I'm just like, think, I'm really trying to think of more, more questions because I'm like, my mind just like, whoa, I never even thought of ooh, all of ooh. it. 
I have would have known. I have a good question for you. Okay. How did we learn what plants are medicinal? How did we learn that? Well, there's several theories. Glad you asked. So, <laughs> uh, what do, okay, let's start. In modern times, someone lost at sea. Okay. So the boat sinks, they're in the life raft. They do have their fishing kit. So they're bobbing around in the water and they're fishing, waiting to be rescued. And this has happened multiple times. So there's a really good understanding of what happens to them during this time. So when they're first catching the fish, all they're doing is, is sushi eating it. They're just eating the meat. Because they go, eh, you know, it's it's the part of the fish that we eat. I know you can eat sushi. We're going to eat the meat. And the rest is kind of nasty looking. Mm -hmm. But after about six weeks, lost at sea, catching the fish, the body now is starting to develop all sorts of malnutrition issues. And over and over, they've seen it happen. A switch gets flipped in the brain. And the person is looking at this fish they just caught. And now they're going, damn, those eyeballs look good. Ooh. And those guts. Oh, yeah. I want the heart. I want the gills. I want the liver. I want to eat. And the, the, their body, like I said, flips a switch. And those things that did disgust them, the body has recognized that there are nutrients it needs. There are things it needs in that in that fish, you know, beyond just the meat. And the people start going, this is, why did I never eat the eyeballs before? They're fantastic, you know? And not just, you know, fish, but any animal. So that the was body. That cannibalism, whatever word I can say. Cannibalism, yeah. Yes. Explain but the, that then. You know, when we think about like the nose, especially in the modern life right now, our goal is generally not to smell anything or hide the smell with some very pretty floral scents and that's about it. Um, but our nose is actually a very powerful chemical analysis device. And it's actually the most directly linked to the brain. You know, we're not like greyhounds or anything, the dogs with the, you know, they're amazing, no. but we still have amazing powers. Our eyes, we can distinguish very, very, very subtle colors in plants and in berries. Um, our sense of, well, our sense of smell and sense of, of, of sight are the two main things. But the this ability to look at our surroundings and go, you know what? Right now, I really need those flowers from that plant there. I don't know why consciously, but something in my brain is saying, you know what? Do that. Eat that. Eat that. And so it, it, I believe it goes back to the, the body recognizing from a chemical sense, there's something in there it needs to deal with something inside the body. So there's a, uh, if you look at ancient cultures or even modern cultures like in the Amazon and so forth, where they still have hunter gatherer and you ask them, how did you, you know, learn these plants are medicinal around the globe? The answer has always been the plants told me. And which leads to a whole bunch of like spiritual connotations to it. But in the end, my personal belief and a number of others, not everyone, you know, some say, yeah, there's, you know, spirits of the plants telling you, but we are really good at figuring out what's in something just by looking at it and smelling it. And our body, even at a subconscious level can decide, Ooh, yeah, that right now, that would be a really good thing to take. Cause I think that's going to help you with this, you know, issue over here. 
So the, the plants talking to you, they talk to us through sights and smells. So did you know plants scream? I, okay, so I'm not doing, okay, I was just curious because I've had that happen. I actually, I've had, um, I've had, okay, I know they're not called rocks, but they're called crystals. Okay. They started talking to me and I thought I was going, but apparently not. No, it's your brain is picking up a, a subconscious influence from said device. So, oh. And going back to that, so when a plant is being attacked by like a bug eating it or an animal eating it, a lot of them release uh, a methyl silicate material. It's a, a, a mm -hmm. volatile molecule. We know it as oil of wintergreen or the wintergreen flavor. Mm -hmm. What this does then is alerts the other plants around it. Hey, this plant over here, it's being damaged by something eating it. So we should probably trigger our defenses, increase the bitterness or herbicide, pesticide type, or, uh, pesticide type compounds in the plants. And it's it's not just the plants of the same species that are picking it up. Most plants can can pick up this methyl salicylate wintergreen and respond like as if they're you know building up defenses against a predator. So I always well, thought that, that like why my house plants do the same thing too because I've noticed that. Most likely. If you want to scare your plants, pop a you know a wintergreen life flavor in your mouth and, and then just breathe on them. Oh, and they go, oh, ah, I'm just trying oh, to keep them alive. That is happening. So, well, I, I'm really good at keeping them alive, but um, I was just curious because I'm like, when one seems to get sick, it's like the rest of them, like they're doing something. I don't, I can't explain it, but it's like they're doing something to bring up that other one that looks like it's dying. Yeah, I've noticed the, the that. plants are talking. They are releasing chemicals. They evolved because it benefits them. And just random chance, it's worked out. Sure. I'm so glad that I'm not crazy then because I've heard my plants talk to me. And I've told my son, the one that wants to be a farmer, I'm like, he named his farmer girl. And anyways, he talks yeah. to her and reads her stories. And I'm like, well, okay. There you go. Yeah. I don't know keeps them it's... alive. <laughs> We've had we've had enough scientific studies on that, like how to keep them alive. Here, I thought it was just the oxygen, but I'm gonna try that. I want actually I don't want to scare the plants. Maybe the weeds. <laughs> Would that work with weeds outside by chance? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. But well, the thing is, so what it does is <laughs> makes them tougher. It makes them, you know, it builds up oh. their defenses. I don't want to do that to weeds then. Right. You want you <laughs> want the weeds to be weak and a false sense of security. You don't want to scare them and start building up their things. So if I talk but, to them bad, would that help? Pardon? Ah, probably won't hurt. I'll have to try that. Ugly weed. Ah. So, you <laughs> know, we have immune systems, right? Hmm? Yeah, we, yeah, we, up until two years ago, anyway, humans had immune systems. Apparently, we yes. don't right now. <laughs> Plants well, have I an immune system, too. In fact, all living things have an immune system because they're constantly attacked under bacteria, fungi, viruses. Well, yeah, that's why I'm like outside helps build that. Like animals mm -hmm. build that. Cats and dogs build that. That's why I'm a huge advocate of having animals when their kids are little. Because I'm like, how do you think you build a strong immune system? Yep. Most definitely. Yep. Us. Yep. Oh, there's so many different places we could go with that. But well, yeah, we, we could. <laughs> that would be good, though. So, so okay. So Columbus discovers America. Mm -hmm. And then all these Westerners come in. And suddenly all these diseases from the old world come and infect the new world. But very few diseases from the new world affected the old world. 
Part of it is because in the old world, they have a long history of living there in the same building with the pigs and the chickens and the cows and the goats and the sheep and all this sort of thing. So you have a bunch of animals mm -hmm. together in a building. Whereas in the the uh, Native Americans and Native South Americans and, and Central uh, Americans, they they had dogs domesticated, but they didn't really have many animals that they lived with. The animals were over there. We were over here. Mm -hmm. So when you got animals and humans together, you got cross viral pollination, if you will. So well, you get, yeah, that makes sense. So you have a lot more diseases where you have animals and humans together, but you also have a more robust immune system because it knows well, how to yeah. handle this. It evolved in that swamp of of disease and filth, and then they don't come really. And the people that didn't have that background suddenly every disease that came over with them was terrible and and wiped them out. So wow. the things like lupus and yeah. other autoimmune diseases, asthma, are they found in third world countries where the, the kids are you know, playing outside more and amongst with the animals. Here in the U.S., uh, the Amish and farm kids have much lower incidences of these autoimmune diseases because from the get-go, they are exposed to the chemicals, their body figures out how to fight it. They build up all the different antibodies. Uh, there's some really interesting studies that suggest that the, one of the reasons that lupus affects females more than males significantly higher is at least boys sometimes are allowed to play in the dirt, but the girls, they were like, oh, no, no, yeah, 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 no, get out of that mud puddle. You're going to get your pretty, you know, they weren't, all, so they, they didn't get that bacterial flooding of their system that they knew to build it up. So then later on, when they're let loose into the world, their immune system doesn't know what's good and what's bad and just attacks everything in sight. So I'm so that means that I'm building my immune system by teaching my boy. Why well, I, I keep teaching them, but I might like, go out and get your mud and boots is what I call them. Cause I'm like, go out in the mud, go jump. Cause that's what I love to do. I love to dance in the rain. I love to do all of that stuff. Cause yep. it's, to me, it's healthy. Mm -hmm. so Soil-based organisms are, too. yeah. You know, wash out cuts and punctures and stuff like that. You know, you don't want to get tetanus or infection, no. but in general, yeah. The, 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 the day-to-day -day playing in the dirt, that's good for you. I just don't want my kids to eat dirt. The one, the one took and grabbed the turtle and tried to eat the turtle. And I'm like, Oh, I'm like, that's caveman enough for me. Yep. <laughs> Thank God he didn't pick up salmonella from the turtle, uh -huh. but I'm just saying. Yeah, them boys, uh, they give you a run for the money, but now I know I got gave me four of them. Well, there we go. You know, I need to <laughs> balance in my life, literally yeah, going you outside. Know, you need learning exactly. how to do that balance. That's that a gift so to you. Awesome. So then um, one of the things I was thinking too is like when you're going outside and you're doing these different things, what weather is um, more ideal then? Like, oh, like, oh what a great question. Yeah. Oh, and we okay. Audience, we did not plan this question, but let's talk about intermittent cold therapy. So another pop quiz question. Homo sapiens have been through how many ice ages? And going back to the, the two and a half million years ago, how many ice ages have the, our evolutionary process taken us through? I don't know. Probably one or two if I had to guess. So Homo sapiens have survived five ice ages. And it's uh, right now it's estimated that we 
you know, going back to the two and a half million years ago, there have been 12 ice ages that we survived through. Wow. We are designed for cold weather. Cold weather has, or uh, being exposed to cold weather has all sorts of health benefits. So I'm going to live with, longer. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So intermittent cold therapy. If you can spend at least an hour of your time a day under 64 degrees with like, you know, shorts and nothing else. Or, you know, well, you know, it's socially acceptable, you know, amount oh, yeah. of covering. Um, or, you know, better yet, like, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes in ice water. But this has positive effects on the human body. First off, okay, you might hear it. Okay, yeah, you need to take a cold shower. You might be telling this to your kids here in a few years uh, as as hormones and yeah, stuff start take over. I'm like the Wim Hof, and I'm like, you're not getting me to do that. Oh, yeah, well, he's, he's, he's the man. You got to follow him. But uh, so cold showers and intermittent ice therapy actually raise libido rather than quenching it. So that's something oh, to keep in I mind. Oh. <laughs> so no but, wonder I told my husband I can't uh, have cold water because <laughs> like, I want him more. No comment. But anyway, another thing. So in the human body, we actually have two types of fat cells. We have the white fat, which is basically the marshmallows, just one big glob of fat in a ball stored, you know, hips, you know, wherever, uh, belly to... If we end up in a starving situation, then we'll start breaking it down and releasing it and using it. But we also have brown fat. And brown fat, what that is, it's called brown fat because the cells look brown because they're high with iron. And instead of just a big glob of fat, it has tiny little bubbles of fat in it. These are our immediate use fat. One of the primary uses is when we shiver. Shivering is a mechanism to maintain body temperature so that we don't freeze to death. And it requires a lot of energy. And so the body stockpiles a certain amount of brown fat cells to power shivering. The more wow. exposure you have to cold, the body goes, oh, we need, to, we need to increase more of this fat and put it in the brown cells rather than the white cells. And so because this... this Jackass keeps getting cold. Get in the cave. Get by the stop going outside in Minnesota. Uh, but that's great for you because then your fat is going to be formed in these little tiny immediate use brown fat cells, brown adipose tissue for immediately use, keeping you warm. So by keeping yourself cold, you actually do burn more fat, burn more energy. It's you know, and your body gets trained to first fill the, the brown fat rather than the white fat. So it's great for weight loss and things of that nature. I was just going to say that because I'm like, I remember my mom said that back in her day when she was young, that um, for one of the tools for weight loss, what they did was like saunas and stuff like that to help lose the weight. And I'm thinking, well, that's got to be the dumbest thing to do because I'm just thinking like in my case, my blood pressure would drop. Yeah. But I'm just thinking, well, how would that help? And then they had like machines that would like vibrate it off apparently <laughs> too. Just, yeah. just weird things. And, but... and with the sauna, you're mainly losing oh. water weight. You're you're putting yourself in a you know, dehydration. But your That's immune system hard. gets stronger oh. when you're exposed to cold. Because again, it's an evolutionary sort of thing. When you're out and about, just going outside into nature, your immune system, your innate and your active, both become placed on like high alert. 
because when you know it, it takes energy your body has to decide what am i going to do am i going to bump up the immune system or am i going to build some other part in the body well if they're outside they're walking around in the wild this is a time when we need the immune system so that evolutionary benefit of of you know your immune system kicking up as you were outside just again benefited those that had that and it got spread on so being outside raises the immune system when they had everyone say oh you can't go outside when you had to stay in the houses it's like well, yeah what yeah. that makes it worse that's what yeah. i am yeah. up and down i'm like why would you stay inside yeah i'm like then, outside is going to be better all the time because there's more yeah. there's more well yeah and you, uh, besides just the natural increase in the power of the immune system when you're outside in nature vitamin d that you get from the sun yes. I mean, most americans the sun has become, oh, it's the big cancer object in the sky. It's like you go out in the sun, you may as well swallow time. uranium. No, I'm no, 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 no. You are not a vampire. <laughs> you know, get your yeah. vitamin D. Yeah, me, I'm just like, just because as white, I'm as white as they come, I'm like, just certain hours I got to avoid the it, sun. It, like, yeah, from it, 11 a.m. until 5 p.m. That's all. Yeah. Well, and the whole white skin, that was an adaption as they moved from Africa where they needed the melatonin to protect themselves from the sun into the northern climes where they then suddenly were, you know, running into vitamin D deficiencies. So, and that affects the immune system, the mood, the brain, all sorts of things in the body. Okay. Well, that's what I was wondering because I told my husband, I said, I swear up and down, I feel better when I'm out in the sun more in the summer. That's why I was thinking like, I want to move where it's warm. And there is no snow. So this way I don't have to deal with arthritis pain, but then I'm also happier. Yep. But now after you're telling me this, well, I want to live longer. So I'm guess I just got to stay in cold South Dakota. Yeah. Cold South Dakota with a sunroom. True. There you go. That, pro- that fixes that problem. <laughs> I'll tell you here. So uh, artificial lights. Yeah. Again, for the audience, I did my undergraduate yeah. at South Dakota State University. So I know South Dakota, love South Dakota. If I was not in Texas, South Dakota would be my second choice. Well, that's probably towards the Black Hills. So, well, that's what I was wondering. I'm like, is that going to be better than like the Watertown, Sioux Falls area? I've n- I've never been to Black Hills. I've been told about it, but I'm like, yeah. I don't know which is better. I'll tell you, walking around on a hill is better than walking around on flat ground. So again, for True. for exercise and and just general body health, hills. Hills are better. Now, if you're on a bicycle and lose control, it's a problem. But walking, yeah, sure. you want hills. That's one of the problems. Like I said, this this is 10 yeah. hours west of me, still in Texas, yeah. but Houston is flat. There are no hills whatsoever. Oh. Um, so I spend a lot of time just taking stairs up places and things like that, usually carrying jugs of sand or thing, you know, just to... So, so in other words, a great parenting tip is to go to move out to... Um, the Black Hills area and let my boy and have a fenced in area, probably a shock fence, but just, yeah. put, just put the boys out there then. Yep. 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 So they, not well, like a shock necessarily. You know, make yeah. a little, you know, wigwam or something like that. Uh, you know, a little shelter for them to huddle in in the cold. <laughs> They'll probably keep each other warm knowing, well, all, that, knowing how they are. I'm know, just get a couple saying, of dogs with them and they'll be fine. Well, yeah, the, the one, Some I mean, crows. like the dog, the dog i swear up and down my my dog she's 12 years old and she's so in love with my son and i'm just like whoa (laughs) but um that explains though i was thinking like that time and space you were saying like for the space where we're we are at in our body 
Because mm-hmm. like my one son has sensory processing disorder. Okay. And that's a lot of what it is, is he doesn't know where he's at in his body. So I'm thinking that outside movement, no wonder why when we went to Colorado and he was able to do a lot of that more, like the rock climbing type yeah. things, no wonder why he was more happier. Jungle gyms and all that are great. Yeah. That's awesome. This has been extremely fascinating. It's, it's welcome to my world, I guess. Well, yeah, I'm, yeah, this is just fascinating. I love it. So what's the best way for audience to get in contact with you? All right. So the center of my thing is medicinemanplantco.com. So that is where I actually have the uh, the ancient plants for modern issues. But because I have the scientific background, I do need scientific proof that these things have those powers. So all the, the formulations are based on scientific studies, scientific research. There's a lot of medicinal plants out there. Some actually do exactly what they're said. A few of them, not as good, but they were what the people had. So they said, it'll do this. The stuff I'm doing has that. That's the main thing. From there, you can get to the Foraging Texas website. Important thing about the Foraging Texas website, even though it has the word Texas in the title, most of those plants are found all over North America. Uh, one of the things I quickly figured out when I moved down to Texas, a lot of the summertime weeds and plants and flowers of Minnesota, South Dakota are wintertime plants down here. So right now we have all the dandelion and the chickweed because it, the plants don't care about geographic boundaries. They care about ecosystems. And, okay, that makes sense. You know, And when is the ecosystem the same? When are the temperatures and humidity and soil temperatures and all that the same? Well, in Texas... The winters are the same as the summers up there. So we have a lot of that. Um, If you go to the website, every plant has a Texas range map showing what counties it's found in, and then also a North American map showing which states and Canadian provinces the plants are found in. Uh, But again, going back to the Medicine Man plant code, that's that's where I have all the science and the plants and all that sort of thing. too. So I would start there. Um, Lots of podcasts and things like that. That is so fascinating. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I appreciate everybody's time and energy and watching, either watching or tuning in through the podcast. Appreciate everybody's time and energy. And thank you so much, Mark, for being here. Really appreciate it. My pleasure.